HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by 100 Bogart Street, a co-working and event space in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Learn more at 100bogart.com. I'm HRN's Executive Director, Katie Mosman-Wadler, with a preview of this week's episode of Meet and 3, our weekly food news roundup. Last month, Hurricane Florence walloped parts of North Carolina. According to the Weather Channel, it was the wettest tropical storm to ever hit the Tar Heel State. So how did the restaurant industry respond? Some helped FEMA weather the storm, while others got to work feeding people on the ground. We just walked in and said, we know how to cook, what can we do? They said, I need you guys to just cook 150 pork loins, and we were just like, uh, okay. (laughs) Now the attention needs to be on Florence's long-term effect on North Carolina's farming community. The general mood of farmers is one of certainly resilience and almost feels like it's the normal course of business to just get hit by a gigantic hurricane and need to just keep on going. So tune in to this week's Meet and 3 on Heritage Radio Network, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum, and I love to talk with people about what they do and how it influences their personal food stories. This is a show about people, life, and food. If you're just tuning in for the first time to Feast Your Ears, all of the previous episodes can be found in the archives at heritageradionetwork.org. I'm thankful for listeners like you, and I'd love it if you'd leave me a review wherever you find this podcast. Sorry I'm late today for anyone who is listening live. I was making lunch for a really great uh, nonprofit that was recently started by a previous guest of mine, Marta Walliver, uh, who was on this show a couple weeks ago. It's called FundHerCampaign.com. Um, I was making lunches that are then bought uh, and delivered to people in their offices, and all of the proceeds go to fund a progressive uh, female candidate in the upcoming election. So today I made uh, some dosa and some curry and some onigiri and some stewed apples and the money is all going to help jen lunsford who's running for state senate in new york's 55th district upstate so you can check that out at fundhercampaign.com and sorry i'm late but we'll get we'll get right to it today's theme is heavy lifting it takes a lot of work behind the scenes to bring a food brand or product to life it's not enough to just have a great product and a great company figurehead 
Not only does it take great sourcing and production, packaging, logistics, it also takes a lot of knowledge. It's all well and good to have an idea to try and sell something like fish sauce in the U.S. market, but does anyone want it? There are more food brands than ever crowding our shelves, and while there are fantastic small startups rising through the ranks on an almost daily basis, at the same time, young brands are being scooped up by the major players, in many cases for a lot of money. How do you get from a tiny kitchen to worldwide distribution? Do you spend money on buying specialty equipment and renting space? Do you co-pack? How do you market? With the recent surprise closing of the shared space food incubator Pilotworks, I'm guessing many people are rethinking their strategies. There's no one path, but one thing is for sure. You'd be smart to hire someone like today's guest to help you out along the way. Betsy Fox has been living, breathing, talking about, and building food brands for years. Her company, Forklift Food, helps with the heavy lifting, brand building, events, marketing, and more for brands ranging from giant multinationals to single operator startups. If you need help in the specialty food, you should call Betsy. Thanks, Betsy, for coming into the studio. Well, thanks for having me. So your company, Forklift Foods, is one that works with brands that everybody has heard of, including brands that nobody has heard of. Um, But nobody's heard of your company, I don't think. So tell us a little bit about what Forklift does. So Forklift is essentially a culinary brand management firm. We take brands that come to us and we bring them from often from concept all the way to the shelf. Or people may come to us with, say, $100,000 in sales and say, I want to be a $10 million brand. How do I do it? So we help them at different points along the way. And some of the, you know, you work with giant companies, you've done work for M&M, you've done work for Pedigree, uh, dog food, um, but then ones that sort of, you know, when I first met you, you were doing work with Red Boat Fish Sauce. That's right. Well, I, I was originally in the global advertising world, and that's when I worked yeah. primarily with people like Mars and Denon, and, and that's where essentially our experience comes from. The other members on my team also have similar backgrounds, so... We bring what I would call big agency and big food marketing experience to smaller brands. Yeah. So I think of myself as a multinational advertising refugee, <laughs> and um, and so I'm helping those small brands really and come to life. And do you feel like the? I mean, do you feel like the way that social media works and the way that people share things on the internet has made it more possible for smaller brands to leverage things that used to only be available to bigger brands? I do. I think in the past people had to advertise really right. to get the word out and, and raise awareness. And that costs a lot of money. And it costs a lot of money. So social media is a great way to raise awareness. Cool. Um, so and and you know, but you don't just you know, it's not like with Redboat, you weren't just you know, figuring out how to promote the product and put it into stores like when we had grocery at the Brooklyn Kitchen, you were doing a lot more. You were traveling, you were understanding the product. So Fish Sauce, uh, Red Boat Fish Sauce is an interesting brand. A gentleman came to me in 2011 and said, I'm making the best fish sauce in the world. And and I'd spent a lot of time in Southeast Asia, and so I tried it, and he was absolutely right. It was some of the best fish sauce I'd ever yeah, had. That's great. And at that point... Um, we were looking at trends in the marketplace, and umami was a huge trend. So one of the things that strategically we decided to do was um, really launch with chefs who were all talking about umami and launch with that as a background. And so our chefs essentially became our awareness builders for us. Mm. And we, we and, and the product was so amazing. So, um, so that's how it started. And then over time, we've gotten into the bigger chain stores like Whole Foods, and we're sure. really proud of our... We probably have five, maybe 7,000 distribution points for a single product, which is pretty impressive in that short amount of time. And we did it all on a, on a shoestring. So yeah. um, Red Boat's finally really coming into its own. We're launching in Europe this year. And wow. um, it was a combination of chefs and events and 
just a lot of committed people that we call you know our, our extended red boat family yeah I mean and, and it is a delicious product that I feel like when it came to market there were already lots of chefs who would go you know if you were in a in, in a large urban area you would go to Chinatown and you would buy you know fish sauce was available and I think chefs were definitely aware of it but I think in the in the home kitchen there's been such a huge explosion of Asian ingredients yes that are the other part of our strategy was to launch and make fish sauce the new soy sauce mm. and you can see by the numbers that it's really going in that direction. I mean, a lot of people are scared of it. It is a sm- sort of a smelly thing. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, once you try it, you, and once you become a regular user, you use it in eggs, you use it in red sauce, you use it. It's got a crossover, and that was the other part of our strategy. Mm. We needed to get out of the Asian food ghetto right. and really move into other different kind of cuisines and different other uses. Yeah, I think people's you know willingness to use, for lack of a better way to describe it, stinky food. Uh, or stinky condiments at home has really come a long way. I mean, I think that we're we're finally, I feel like, maybe getting to the other side of like, you know, the weird like waspy like Anglo <laughs> history of like <laughs> not liking things that smell bad. I mean, my mom used to tell stories that her, you know, if she took like chopped liver sandwich to school, the kids would laugh at her. Yeah, I think that that that's go. I think that's going away. And fermented foods have done a lot to really help with that too. Yeah, Something absolutely. you're an expert in. <laughs> totally true. Um, tell me about Ziba, which is a really neat brand that I, you know, I mean, obviously I came to know about it because I know you, and you brought it to me. But tell me a little bit about that product. Well, I was line. really excited to meet these three gentlemen, American gentlemen, who had started a, a fruit and nut company in Afghanistan. And not only where some of the best fruits and nuts have historically come from. And so we, so I tried their products and I was so impressed. But then they told me what really made the difference for me with Ziba is that 80% of the workforce is Afghan women. And when they started the company, they wanted to do something with a social angle to it and really give back. So we're just, we've just launched this year, um, actually this summer, and we're beginning to see great tra- traction. We have four different retail varieties and about 11 different varieties that we sell to chefs. Um, but they're, they're figs and they're, um, and they're almonds, <clears throat> excuse me, figs and almonds. And um, we also are selling a very interesting product, um, apricot kernels. Which yeah, is those a, are amazing. They have more, surprisingly, they have more protein and, than almonds and, and a much better omega r- ratio. So they're really, really good for you, too. Um, yeah, we're really proud of those. Yeah, I mean the the products are great, and I you know I've started to see them around uh, in stores. I was in Kalustians, uh last week and saw them prominently prominently displayed right there. Well, hopefully you'll see them more and more over the next couple of months. Yeah. So yeah, people um, should keep an eye out for the that for sure. It was just the um, Afghan harvest, so oh. we just bought forward on all of our products. So we're really ex- and that the first new container of of actual new harvest products comes in in two weeks. So we're really excited about that. Now, do the products all get packaged in Afghanistan or do they get packaged here in the U.S.? No, they're packaged in Afghanistan. Got it. Uh, by, by, our, by our ladies. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. It's a, it's a, great, a great story and, and a delicious product. And, you know, certainly I feel like we are so far removed from the effects of war in this country that we've been involved in. And so, you know, if, if even in the smallest way by buying those things, you can help to, you know, help to rebuild a place that in some small way the United States helped destroy. It seems like a really well, good we're thing all, to do. Yes. I mean, and we're also helping the farmers in Afghanistan. Yeah. So we only uh, work with small hold farms and, and farming co-ops. So it's not, it's not a big operation. So we have to put together product from all over the country. Right, right. Super cool. So when you were in advertising, did you start out in food? 
I've always, yes, I started actually out in beer. Oh, okay. So always um, food and beverage has been what I've done. I worked briefly on the Colgate business, but for the most part, food brands, Anheuser-Busch, Gatorade. We launched Michael Jordan globally mm. with Gatorade, which wow. was fun. So I've always had an interest in food, and then being able to take that big agency experience and bring it to smaller clients is really exciting. Growing up was, you know, what was food like in your in your household growing up? Well, we, we have... My family was very went on a lot of exotic trips as nice. as a kid. Each summer we went somewhere different. So, for instance, we were some of the first people into Russia, and, mm. and so uh, exotic food was always part of my life. And wow, so, I a great t- opportunity. It was great. Yeah, I mean, I was really lucky, and I tend to like to bring products in that are that are different um, and not something you would find most places, but that cross over from a. Uh, a consumer, uh, a chef's kitchen into the consumer market. Hmm. So they have to sort of have those two criteria. Are there any products that you remember seeing on those family travels that you like would love to be able now to bring to market? Uh, actually, that's interesting. Someone just brought me something <coughs> that, that reminded me a lot of my <laughs> of childhood trips to Mexico with huh. my family. So um, it's a it's a salsa called matcha, which is made from chilies and sesame and peanuts and pumpkin seeds. And um, a, a cheesemaker called me and said, I've just tried the most amazing salsa matcha. And I actually just got the, um, <clears throat> I just got a, a bottle of it last week, and it's called La Comandanta, and mm. it is amazing. And this group, um, from part, the wife is from Mexico and the husband is from Texas, and he's actually German. Um, and they've got a whole line of amazing Mexican products that I hope to bring to market soon. Wow, that's great! I can't. I, I love salsa matcha. Do you? Yeah, yeah, it's pretty. It's great. Yeah, so I'll have to I'll definitely keep an eye out for that. Um, when working with you know when when you're working with a with a brand that comes to you and says you know we want to be a ten million dollar brand and we're a hundred thousand doing a hundred thousand dollars a year, um, you know, are there are there differences working with a company that says that versus working with someone who's like a brand new startup who comes to you and it's just like I have this great idea for this new food and I want to bring it to market but I don't know what to do Uh, I think there are different kind of people I think one of the things that really predicates success is well two things one is the commitment that the founder has to it Mm. and whether it's a lifestyle product product or if it's something that they really really are really want to bring to market so I think that there are two different kinds of entrepreneurs um, and I think the other thing is really thinking hard about how the investment that it takes to bring, bring a product to market. Right. Because it's not for the faint of heart. Yeah. And you can bootstrap the thing, but at some point you really have to go out and raise some money. Right. Absolutely. And is that something, I mean, are you in a position to help those brands find those people? I am. I, I do some of that. Um, cool. We, Yes. Yeah, I mean that, and that's hard. I mean, you're you're asking someone to invest. You know, if you're one of those entrepreneurs who is like doing it from the heart, sometimes those people are not business people. So I have found certainly in, in working with with people over the years that sometimes it's hard to for those people to give up control or give up ownership, but they really need that money. Yes, and I think the other thing is is that really the really successful entrepreneurs know when they don't know something. Yeah. And and they're willing. They're they'll come to you and say, "I'm I'm great at this, but I'm not great at that. Can you help find someone for my team that can do this?" Cool. So, wow. oftentimes we were get involved in hiring, helping them hire those mm-hmm. too. Nice. So for, you, know, you guys really are. You're doing the heavy lifting, like I said. You're <laughs> helping uh, in all aspects. Bit, a little bit of this and a little bit of that. <laughs> and if there's something we don't know, then we'll go out and find an expert who does. Totally. Um, we're going to take a short break. 
and hear from one of our sponsors here at Heritage Radio Network. Um, when we come back, um, you know, I want to keep talking about the brands that you're working with because I feel like that's part of this, right? We should talk about all the other great brands you're working with. 100 Bogart has made much progress over the past year since their grand opening. They are a growing community of professional freelancers, entrepreneurs, and startups. Their dedicated team guarantees you receive a productive and worry-free work environment. 100 Bogart is currently filling up their two-person to 12-person private offices. The spacious pop-up gallery, premier rooftop, and brand-new full floor with terrace are available for your next event. Podcast rooms, conference rooms, and meeting spaces are also available for booking. 100 Bogart hosts events like art exhibitions, pop-up stores, product launches, and fashion shows. Heritage Radio Network is a proud member of the 100 Bogart community and often holds events in the building. Visit 100bogart.com to schedule a tour and learn more. Welcome back to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum, and if you're just tuning in, joining me in the studio today on this rainy Monday afternoon in Brooklyn is Betsy Fox of Forklift Foods. Uh, before the break, we were talking about sort of how you came to uh, to start Forklift and to and to do what you do. Um, I'm wondering if you know you can talk a little bit. I mean, obviously, you work with lots and lots of different brands, but if you could highlight a couple of brands and sort of you know success stories, I guess, of things that you've helped them accomplish. I mean, one of my favorite brands you're working with is Sfoglini. Um, people who are regular listeners to Heritage Radio, I'm sure, have heard them on lots and lots of shows here, but they're a great brand. Well, I, <clears throat> I worked with Sfoglini a couple of years ago. I'm not currently working okay. with them, but I am really impressed by what they've achieved. I mean, Steve and Scott are some of the most amazing people and really, really strong entrepreneurs. They've just moved their facilities up to, as you may know, up to Coxsackie, New York. Yes, I, I know, well, it, which is good because I know they weren't working within Pilot Works, but they were working right next to Pilot Works. Right. They were at, um, yeah, at the Pfizer building. Yeah. That was where they started. They were, I think, one of the first tenants there. Yeah. And, as they, and so I helped them um, from a marketing and sales, stamps, uh, sales standpoint. Um, and I just... They've just taken off, and so it's been great to see them grow from small to, to big. And, um, and you know, we were working together when they got into Whole Foods, and which really sort of doubled their business. Yeah. So, that's a great, that's a terrific brand. Um, what do you? Th- I mean, what do you think? One of the, like, like what are some of the pitfalls? to being a small food brand that you come across? There must, I, I assume there are some that you come across over and over again and mistakes that people make. Hmm, well, that's a good question. Every brand's a little bit different. Mm. Um, one of the brands that I'm working with now that I, that I just have a whole lot of heart for is called Zia, and it's a hatch chili company. Oh, yeah. And um, so I think in the beginning, they, they weren't as focused as they could have been on really building a retail business. They started at Schmorg. Yeah. And um, we're doing really well there and decided to launch into the jar business. And over the last uh, over the last year and a half, we've really sort of changed the whole complexion of the business. We have a very strong, um, I'm going to use that word again, financial advisor involved. <laughs> sure. Um, and so I think that's made a big difference in Nate's business. Um, we also have sort of begun doing more and more um, events, which has helped a lot. One of the things that I think small brands forget is that 
it's all well and good to get the distribution, but if nobody knows who you are, yeah, and nobody's reading about you or hearing about you on a podcast or whatever, yeah, they're not going to buy you on the shelf, right. no matter how good your packaging is, because they've never heard of you or what you do. Right. So I always encourage my brands to. Um, do some sort of consumer marketing along with that distribution push. Yeah, I mean, that they're a very interesting one because I remember when they started at Smorgasburg and they were roasting the chilies and that was part of what they really wanted to be doing, right? was like the fresh roasted chilies like you get if you're actually living in the Southwest, but that has a limit. You can't be right. in too and many places short, at once. And a short and, season. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the idea of getting into jarred product, I think, is a really, you know, is a, is a very smart one. But then the next step, as you point out, is people need to know who you are. They can't just see your brand on a shelf in Wichita and, like, think, no, it's going to be good. And again, we've been really lucky to work with um, John Lewis, the pit master from Charleston, who just had a, a, a Zia Hatch chili roast with, with Lewis Barbecue cool. a couple weeks ago. And that was really exciting. And... Um, and David Tanis has been very helpful because, of course, he lived in New Mexico and yeah. had a restaurant there for many years. So, you know, having friends like that and having some exposure through magazines like Savoir has really also changed that business. Yeah. Is there anything um, that you think is missing in the market right now? Like, is there is there something that... Uh, you know, or 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 is there a is there a place in the market where you feel like there's room? Like, is there room in nut butters? Is there room in pickles? Is there room? Because I feel like people have these ideas, and often they come out of they don't come from a business standpoint, right? They're not like Ben and Jerry's who didn't really care about ice cream. They just wanted to start a business, and ice cream was the one they decided to start, and it became this giant success. Whereas I think people get into the food business often are like, oh, my grandmother's the best, or I make the best granola, but like. If there's no room in the granola market, then it's kind of hard to make granola. Hmm. Well, that's a, that's another interesting question. I mean, I think there are a couple of things. I think it's really important to have a, a good point of difference when you're launching something. You don't have to be the only other one out. You don't have to be the only one out there, mm. but you do need to have a big difference there. That's one of the successes of Red Boat. Is most fish sauce uh, from the Asian store has a lot of junk in it. Yep. It has sugar, it has hydrolyzed wheat protein, different things to boost the flavor, but Red Boat is just anchovy and sea salt, so it's kind of an amazing thing, and it's fish sauce done and prepared the right way, yep. so that makes a difference. So point of difference is important. Do I think there's anything missing in the market? Um, there there are things missing in the market, and we're going to launch one on November cool. 1st, but, <laughs> but I can't tell you what that is yet. Great. Well, we'll have to, we'll, we'll have to wait a couple. we got two weeks. That's so right. In two weeks, we'll find out about it. I can't wait. I can't wait to find out. You know me. I'm always looking for new, interesting things in the food market. So I, I think you're going to like this one. It's right up your alley. <laughs> um, we're really excited about it, and we've been working on it for about a year. Awesome. Um, yeah, so that's exciting. What and now, I, is that a brand? I mean, obviously, we're not going to talk about the specific brand, but is that a brand that you have helped launch, like from from yes, scratch? Yes. So, what someone didn't come to you with the product? Nope, they did not. It's a concept that we came up with ourselves and nice. um, went out and and decided to launch. So, we have some good partners on that, and uh, really Very excited. Cool. Yeah, it must be. I mean, it must be delicious, right, in your office. It's very delicious in my <laughs> office. And people like to come to my office because I give away lots of really good yeah. samples. I mean, one of, the, one of the brands that I work with that we haven't talked about is Regalis Foods. Sure. And, um, you know, they have some of the most amazing products, and they're all very unique and the highest quality. So people, when they visit my office, say, oh, my God, that's from Regalis. I would love to have that. 
Um, so that's sort of fun. <laughs> that's awesome. And I mean, how do clients find you? Because since Forklift Foods is not like, you know, it's not necessarily like a known brand in the same way, nor do I think you necessarily like, you know, certainly now I think within the specialty food world and people know you, right? They know you from Red Boat and they know, you know, they know about you, but how do people find you? It's all a referral business, yeah. um, which is, is, is exciting. So, um, and then some, we don't also don't take every brand right. because we want to, we take brands that we feel have a really good chance of success. Sure. Because it wouldn't be fair to, to the, to the client or yeah. to us. So, um, I'm, we're working on a really interesting new project for William Greenberg Desserts, which you may or may not know, which is a legacy bakery here I in don't. New York. Oh, wow. Um, started on the Upper East Side about 40 years ago, 50 years ago, and um, now they're moving into Hudson Yard, so they're looking at doing things a little bit differently. So it's very exciting to be part of that. They have they have what's, what are considered the best black and white cookies in New York, so um, we're 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 really pleased to be associated with them too. That's very a new cool. client for us. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, that that's very interesting too. I guess I hadn't, you know, we've been spending all this time talking about new brands, but the fact that there are legacy brands who also really can benefit from your services because if they've been a single location bakery for forty something years, that's fine. But the world is a different place than it was when they first started. And they realize that, and so yeah. that's why. So it's it's refreshing the brand. We're not changing the essential DNA or the legacy pieces of it, right. but it will still be an iconic full-service New York bakery, but just with a little bit more. I haven't had a good black and white cookie in a long time. I'm going to have to have some sent to you. <laughs> sounds great. Um, since you do travel a lot, what's the first thing you do when you arrive in a new place? Oh, definitely eat. <laughs> I mean, no matter where it is, you always yeah. have your favorite places that you yeah, go. Yeah, of course. Um, so when first thing I do when I get to to Vietnam, for instance, is I go for I usually fly into Saigon, so I go to this one place for pho. So that or if I'm in Brazil, it's it's um, Pandicajo in the airport even. So I can't wait for that. <laughs> um, so those yes, absolutely. And then, do you have any exciting trips coming up? I do. I have an exciting trip planned um, to Vietnam at the end of the month. But I'm starting in Phnom Penh, hmm. which is a place I've never been before, and everyone raves about it as an old colonial capital. Right. So yeah. um, I was kind of excited because the hotel I booked wrote me and said, would you like us to pick you up in our vintage Jaguar from the airport? <laughs> and I thought, well, yes. Yeah, why would you say no? <laughs> that exactly. sounds awesome. So I'm looking forward to that. Wow, very cool. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've heard mixed things about the food in Cambodia. Yeah, I, I was in Angkor Wat probably 10 years ago, but I, I haven't been since, so I'm interested to see. Hmm. Um, Just like Cuba, I've heard, like, I feel like for whatever reason in my brain, those are two places where I always think, oh, the food must be amazing. And I've heard really mixed reviews about people eating in both those places. Yeah, I, same. I, I don't know. I, we'll see yeah. when I get back. Yeah, I, I look forward to, look forward to hearing in. about it. Um, so in the in the pre-show questionnaire I sent you, you said the first thing you learned to cook was bananas flambe. <laughs> I know. Yes, so it was... It was in college, and so we decided that we all needed a signature dish, and for whatever reason, that's what I learned to cook first. <laughs> that's awesome. Do you still make it? I do occasionally. Yeah. For special, for all special right. treats. All right, awesome. Well, hopefully, hopefully, I'll get to try your banana flambe <laughs> sometime. Um, do you have any events coming up with any of your brands that you want to mention? Uh, do I have any events coming up? Well, I do. No, not 
Anytime too soon. Let me just think about that for a minute. I mean, people can follow you on Instagram, uh, at Forklift Foods. Right. Um, to find out about sort of the brands you're working with and sort of those those events. If there are any food brands listening, um, forkliftfoods.com yes. is the best place to reach Betsy and her team. Um, and it is not just you. You have a, a team. That's oh, true. Yeah. Um, actually, we're we're going to Vietnam with Red Boat at the end of the month, so that might be something fun to follow. Oh, very cool! And yeah. we're, we're, I bet that'll be really neat. It's going to be great. We're bringing we're just as we just launched in Europe. We're bringing some German chefs over with us, and in fact, one of the chefs has he's Vietnamese, German, and he lives in Berlin, and he has nine different concepts, only one of which is Vietnamese. Huh. So I'm wow. quite interested to meet him. Yeah. So is this so this trip to Vietnam is one where you are bringing chefs or, or hosting chefs to kind of show them the production and that kind of thing? Yes. Cool. How many chefs are going? Uh, there, there are three chefs from uh, Germany and one chef from uh, San Francisco. Oh, nice. Very cool. Well, and also chefs, if you, I guess, if you're using a lot of Red Boat, you should reach out to Betsy and maybe you'll get to join on one of these trips sometime. Um, you know, I, I do think that that's Having having gone on trips like that uh, to Japan, um, you know, and it's not, I mean, the, the, a lot of small brands, I mean, they didn't necessarily pay my way, but they hosted me while I was there. And I feel like that is one of the best ways as a, a user or a retailer or a chef to really understand the brand is if you can have access to that. Even if it costs you some of your own money to go, there's no nothing better than being hosted by the people who can really show you how it's made and then to be able to bring that back into your restaurant into your store and share that with your staff and your customers i mean it's one thing to get a pamphlet or an email or even some video it's way different to go and meet people in person yeah we're always happy to host people in in vietnam and and or in hatch for yeah. zia or i wish i would very much like to go to afghanistan but yeah. right that's now that's not hard. possible yeah. um but uh, yeah, so any of the brands that I work with are always happy to show you how it's made and, and what's going on there. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Betsy, for joining me today. Um, and if you, like I mentioned before, if you want to reach out to Betsy about, uh, you know, if you need help with a food brand, if you are a food brand, if you are starting a food brand, if you are a chef, uh, you can find her at forkliftfoods.com. Thank you. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in to Feast Your Ears today. I want to give a little plug. Uh, coming up on November 12th at the Brooklyn Brewery will be the 23rd iteration of Sumo Stew. Sumo Stew is an event celebrating Japanese food and culture and, of course, sumo wrestling. Uh, Michael Harlan Turkel, who hosts the food scene here on Heritage Radio Network, and I produce this event. happens six times a year. Go to sumostew.com for more information and to pick up your tickets. You can find this show as well as lots of other great shows at heritageradionetwork.org on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please take a moment to rate and review the show, and please reach out to me if you have any questions. You can find me via email, harry at thebrooklynkitchen.com, and you can follow me on Instagram at thefoodballer. Talk to you next week. to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. 
Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.